Hi, my name is Ben, and you're listening to a public podcast. If you want more information about anything going on here at Public Church, visit our website at publicchurch.com. Thanks for listening. So, uh, in case I haven't gotten to meet you yet, I'm the shy guy on staff. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm Colin Cook. I'm the, the family's pastor here. And actually, I'm going to take a moment to tell you about something coming up uh, because it's not going to be in hosting for a little bit. We try to keep hosting very relevant to the, the very near future stuff. But I want to give you guys a heads up. Uh, for parents in the room, we have a conference coming up that I'm super, super excited about. August 18th, we're going to host uh, a conference with a guy named David Tucker, who is the, the owner and operator of a, a thing called Digital Parenting. And he's going to give us a conference on how to parent your children through di- the digital age, okay? So he's going to be talking about things like social media, internet safety, and all that stuff. Anybody think that sounds great? Sounds great to me. I'm telling you. So I actually have gotten to go to this conference already. He did one back in May, and I got to attend it. It was incredible. And so if you guys want to, go ahead and just pencil that off. August 18th, You, if you're a parent, if you're thinking about being a parent, if you've got a parent and you're like, hey, I want to help them parent me better, um, <laughs> go to this thing. It's going to be outstanding. I'm super excited about it. So uh, we're going to be continuing in our uh, Father's Heart series. I'm really excited about this. I'm going to be in Psalm 37, starting in verse 16. So if you've got your Bible out or your app out, you can go ahead and start turning there. And I'm going to kind of set this up a little bit. Um, it's funny how many people ask me uh, coming up to this, are you going to tell us a poop story? <laughs> I was like, maybe I should, but then I, I'm not. Um, <laughs> I don't want to be known for one thing. I mean... I've got lots of embarrassing stories. It's not just pooping myself as an adult. Um, So (laughs) believe it or not, I know this is going to shock many of you. I didn't date much in high school. (laughs) (laughs) I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, man, with that body and those jokes? No way. But yes, I mean, this glorious dad bod did not always exist. At one point, I was just a scrawny little nerdy weird kid. And I didn't, I didn't, I just didn't, there was not a lot of, I, I got friend zoned. Is, is that a way to say that? I got friend, I got in the friend zone like quick. <laughs> Man, I had a lot of friends and that was about it. <laughs> uh, I liked all of them. I would have, I, any of them, I was, I, was, I was in, but they were not into me. <laughs> And so, I I mean, but I had this burning desire because I thought, man, if I had a girlfriend, everything would be awesome, right? It would just change everything. I would be happy. I would be excited because everybody would think I was cool. (laughs) I got a girlfriend. It still didn't work. Um, But here's the thing. I was totally misguided in what I was looking for and where I was looking for it, right? We've all done this, right? You think, if I just get this, I'll be good. I'll be content. I'll be happy. It will fulfill me for the rest of my life. Sometimes you never get it, and you always think, oh, if I only had it. Sometimes you get it, and the worst thing happens because you'll have it for a little bit, and then it wears off, right? You find the difficulties of it, and it doesn't live up to what you expected of it. And the problem is, is that We're looking in the wrong place for contentment. God already offered it freely. We just don't know it. So Psalm 37, starting in verse 16, I'm going to read a couple of verses, 16 and 17 say, 
Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. So that word better, I wanna talk about it for a second. So it's a Hebrew word that can mean a couple different things. The most literal way to put it, you can say better, or it's actually a term talking about value. So what this is saying is that there is more value behind what God gives than anything we can find anywhere else. So we assign value to all kinds of things, right? We assign value to things that are intangible like likes and follows. We assign value to cars, to where we live, to what we do. We assign value to people, right? How, how valuable is it for me to be around this person versus this person? The thing is our value systems are all built on one thing. What will make me satisfied? What gives me contentment? What makes me feel good? So the more something makes you feel good, the higher value it has, or the more you feel like it's gonna satisfy you, the higher value, the less satisfying something seems, the less value it gets. But this system is utterly elusive because there always seems to be more that we need to be satisfied, right? You get that great thing, you get that new job, you get that new car, you get the new house, you get the new friends, you get whatever, and while for a little while it might seem great, eventually you're in the same spot you were before you got it, which is I need a little more. This verse, this passage is God assigning value to everything in our lives. And there's a simple formula. Everything he gives is greater than anything else we could get. And so the thing is, is that that has to change everything, right? We, talk, we say this phrase a lot here, I love this. Todd started talking about this a long time ago and it's something that we repeat a lot. Jesus changes everything, right? So if everything that Jesus can give us is greater than everything else we could ever get, that has to change everything in the way that we set up our values. So this is talking about, we need to talk about this for a second. This says the righteous. Better is the little that the righteous has. So that word righteousness can be a little, a little tough. Sometimes it's hard to, to, to define. And it's even more difficult when we do define it to feel like I'm part of that group, right? I don't know about you, but I read through the Bible and I, I, when I see things, when it's talking about a people group of the righteous, I'm always like, well, that's certainly not me. <laughs> I'm not there because I struggle. I, am, I have a hard time with lots of things. And so I don't, I don't feel like I, I, I belong in that group. Well, let's talk about what this righteousness is. First of all, it comes uh, for us in this room that are Jesus followers. It is from Jesus. You see, his act on the cross, what he did, there's a, a, a fancy word called imputation. What that means is that he puts his righteousness on us when we follow him. He puts it into us. So, in, so he lived a perfect life, the perfect life of God, and he puts that righteousness into a very broken person. And then he lets us put our sin into him. So on the cross, we did a double imputation. So his righteousness on us, our sin into him. He took it into himself. I want you to think about this. If, if you're thinking like me and I'm thinking through my lifetime, I'm, I, I've not lived that long, but I've got a long list of sin. He took all of it so far and all that's gonna come. And so that righteousness that we get to walk in right now comes not first from ourselves, but from Jesus. So when we follow him, this is, this is how I get to put myself in this category. It has nothing to do with me thinking that I'm a good person all the time because I am not. 
But Jesus gives me the ability to say, okay, I could be in that category to a degree. But uh, the, the other thing is that Jesus' followers don't always act righteously, do they? Can I get an amen? Huh? <laughs> Church people, they're the worst. Um, <laughs> don't, I, I won't get started on that. While we're certainly covered by Jesus' perfect life, we still have to choose to live as he did. This is not always easy because the world we live in operates in a totally different manner than we see in Jesus. What we see in Jesus' life is is truly a contentment in whatever his father gives him. And so we have to choose, though we get to be in this righteous category because of Jesus' life, we as Jesus' followers still have to choose to be that way, right? I choose regularly not to be righteous. But that's not the way, that's not what Jesus set me free to do. My chains were broken not so I could live just like a slave longer. He broke the chains so I could live like a son. Does that make sense? And so what, he, what we have to do is choose to do that. But we choose slavery all the time anyways. So this righteous person, don't feel like you're automatically out of the category because you recognize that there's bad things in your life. That's all of us. But the only righteousness we ever really get to have only comes from Jesus. It is in following him that we have righteousness at all. It doesn't exist apart from that. So this righteous people, he's saying, better is the little that the righteous have than the abundance of many wicked. So this verse is saying that there is immeasurable value and contentedness in God. So the word abundance there, when it talks about the the abundance of the wicked, it's a word that that we can talk about value again as far as amount of things, but it also talks about a commotion or a clamor. And I I, I think it's funny because when I think about the way we decide what has value in our lives, we typically do this through the attention drawn to other people or to things, right? When something gains a lot of attention, it has a lot of commotion or clamor. We're like, value, that's good. I need this. I want that. When we envy the lives of others, we do what they do to get what we think that they have. When our attention is turned to the ads that we see, we feel a burning desire to have whatever is being sold, right? And what's being sold is not objects, it's happiness, right? That's what's being sold. That's what we're, we're chasing after. When we're seeing uh, advertisements for all kinds of things, what they're selling us is happiness. If you brush your teeth with this toothpaste, you will have these kind of looking friends right? Here's the type of girlfriend you can get with this mouthwash. They're selling happiness. None of us care about our teeth that much. It's about people. It's about the, the, the value, the look that we can have. It's about girlfriends. <laughs> if you're like 15-year-old Colin, it's about all that stuff, right? That's what the sell is. I remember the first thing that I ever saved for. I was uh, in middle school and I, I, I wanted to, I started mowing yards so I could save for this thing. I'd say, when I'm saying mowing yards, I'm not talking about the, the swank operations that people have today. I had a wagon and a push mower and I dragged my wagon around my neighborhood and knocked on all my neighbor's doors and said, can I mow your yard? And most of them said, absolutely not. <laughs> because of, yeah, it was me. Um, and so I, I eventually saved up like a hundred bucks, okay? And a hundred dollars and I bought a portable CD player. 
Okay, now, I, yeah, I know I'm old. Um, so, <laughs> I, I mean, I saved and saved and saved, and I finally, I got this thing. So there's this, this little portable, was, I, I can't remember the brand, it was gray, little portable CD player, right? Now, this thing, though, I, and I, I thought, man, as soon as I get this, everybody's going to think I'm super cool. <laughs> They're going to think I'm awesome. I'm going to have so much fun listening to whatever music I want to all the time. This is great. I don't have to listen to, to my parents' radio anymore. I'm going to have this in the car. Okay, think about this CD player, though, is that if you breathed on it, it would skip, okay? Now, a lot of you in here have never had to go through this, okay? And it was a real pain because you're, you're thinking, okay, portable CD player, you're going jogging. No, 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 you can't walk with this thing and it not skip, okay? You can't ride in a car and it not skip every three seconds. So here's, here's what I got to do. I got to have a portable CD player that sat on a table while I stood there. That's how portable it was. I could bring it from this table to another table and it was portable net capacity, but that was it. And so you see, the thing is, is I thought what it would bring me would be outstanding and it wasn't. In the end, it was something that just kind of wore off. New things came out very quickly. They realized that that was a terrible design and they created CD players that didn't skip so much. And then all of a sudden I've got a piece of junk and I need to save up more money. I need to drag my wagon around, more, mow more yards and do this again and again and again. And guess what? The new CD player still didn't stick around. We got the, the Zune. <laughs> you guys remember that? Oh, sorry. Um, we got iPods. They came out. We had, you know, then iPhones came out. Then all, you know, there's always something else. And so what I thought would bring me everlasting happiness lasted for just a little bit. We chase all this stuff because we are convinced it will bring us happiness and contentment. But no matter how much of this commotion we accumulate, it will never bring us more than temporary excitement. Let's read in this uh, next part in verse 18, or excuse me, in 17. I'm going to read it again. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. I want you to picture something. Picture in your mind a room full of all the things you currently want. All of it. Everything that is just burning in your heart that you wish you had. Now try to pick it all up. Carry it around with you for a little while. Does that end up going well? Of course not. You see, I think that there's uh, a way that we get to read this passage and see this, isn't, this doesn't say that God breaks the arms of the wicked. It says that their arms are broken. And the wicked is not some group of people that we can't identify with either, is it? It's very easy to, to be nice to ourselves and say, oh, I'm the righteous category. I'm not the wicked. I, that's not me. I certainly struggle with being wicked on a regular basis because what wickedness is here is somebody who is looking for what God offers freely somewhere other than in God. So we're wicked, right? We're here. We're in this category several times. And it says that their arms are broken. You know what happens is when we try to accumulate and carry and do whatever it takes to get all this stuff to pursue this happiness, this contentment, we gather and gather and gather and carry it all. Eventually what happens is our stuff gets broken and we end up only hurting ourselves. It's easy to see how the arms of the wicked are broken, isn't it? These are people who have bought completely into what the world says, to what the world says will bring happiness. And they've turned fully from what God offers freely. They can't carry enough to gain their contentment and only hurt themselves in the process. 
This process has been going on since the world began. You see, the very first thing that, uh, the very first temptation we see in the book of Genesis, which is at the very beginning of your Bible, and it's the story of kind of how things began, right? And you see a garden called Eden, and it's where everything's perfect, it's great, and there's only one rule inside of this garden. It's, hey, there's this one tree, don't eat from that. Everything else, all yours. You saw them walk in the evening with, with God. This is Adam and Eve, the very first people. You see, I mean, it's just beautiful. And Satan comes and he tempts Eve in this way. He says, hey, if you eat that, you'll be like God. She already was like God. She was made in his image. Satan was offering something for her to buy that God had already given freely. That's what we buy into today, right? It's Satan saying, hey, buy this and you'll be content. And it never works. And God's saying, you don't have to buy anything. I've given it to you already. But the Lord upholds the righteous. So while the wicked break their arms trying to gain the world, the righteous have their burdens carried by God himself. When we are content in him, there'll be far less that we feel like we need to carry with us, right? When I'm content in God, that other stuff has far less value. Likes and follows and things and money all lose value when compared to the one who created all things. They lose value when we compare it to what he gives freely. So that CD player and that girlfriend that I thought would change my life, seem really insignificant when compared to a God who says, I'll carry your burdens for you. I'll give you my righteousness. I'll take your sin. All your wrong, all your evil, all the things that you've done that you're embarrassed of, I'll take it all. I'll love you through it and I'll give you everything you need to be content. Let's move on. Let's read verses 18 and 19 and 20. It says, The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they will have abundance. You know, we can trust in a God who created everything and continues to sustain it to this day. Why should we carry the burden of buying satisfaction when God has already offered it freely? Why should we sell our souls to social media to feel worth when God has already called us valuable? Those things that we are chasing will fade, become obsolete, and die away. But if you live your life content in God, it will make a lasting impact on so many others in your life. You see, what the world is missing is some people who haven't bought into the fact that happiness can be bought. Because we in the church, again, let's talk about church people. We've bought into it, right? There's very little difference here than anywhere else. We've bought into this lie that we can buy our happiness, buy contentment. And it doesn't work that way because God's already given it to us and Satan can't offer it, the world can't offer it. No one else can offer what only God can give. It says they are put to shame in evil times and the evil days of famine they will have, they're not put to shame, excuse me, that would have been bad. Yeah, we're not. 
They are not put to shame in evil times. The evil days of famine, they have abundance. One of the saddest things about a life lived in pursuit of stuff is that it's so easily lost. You've seen those videos of people dropping a brand new iPhone X into the pool, right? $500 purses are stolen and you're like, I don't care about the money, give me the purse back. Immaculately decorated houses with all the stuff going into foreclosure. Abundance looks very different when circumstances change. While today abundance might look like it's a new tablet or a big TV, tomorrow it might simply be having food. You see, what we think of as abundance when things are good can change drastically. Those affected most by economic downturns are not necessarily whether they're poor or rich. It's those who have bought most fully into the idea that happiness can be bought. You're affected most when that is your pursuit in life because when that abundance is destroyed and you realize that you had a lack of everything else, abundance looks very different. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. You know what the lasting value of a life lived in pursuit of stuff is? Not a lot probably an estate sale, right? You go to those and it's sad. Ashley was, was, was talking to me about this the other day. She, she was at one. She was like, you know, it's sad because this is a lifetime of accumulating stuff that's just being sold to people for the best offer. This is what these people had gone after for their life. You know, like, ah, this stuff. And then that life of accumulating stuff is reduced to a yard sale, basically, Right? That's the lasting value of a life pursued in pursuit of stuff. You know how much my clothes from high school are worth? Nothing. (laughs) You know how much my CD player that I bought is worth? Nothing. You know how much my iPhone 4 is worth? Man, when Verizon got the iPhone, I was like, yes! It's worth less than nothing. I'd probably have to pay somebody to take it, right? The life of those who ignore what God says is valuable might seem amazing like an explosion right now, but in the end, it will just become smoke that disappears. So what we're seeing here is is the the smoke in the field or the the glory of pastures like flowers that bloom up and they're beautiful, right? And then they're gone. The smoke comes from a giant fire. And so while this fire might look awesome at the time, eventually it will be nothing more than ash and smoke. There is no lasting value in stuff. It says, in, let's read verses 21 and 22. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. There's no end to the drive to get things in the pursuit of happiness. That drive will inevit- inevitably lead to deceit because no one has enough money to buy happiness. You will cheat your family, your church, the government, and others to get the money you need to buy what you want. And by cheating, I'm not necessarily saying that you're going and stealing things from people. You're gonna cheat them on your time. You're gonna cheat them on your investment into their lives. You're gonna cheat them on what you could give to help them. You're going to cheat in all kinds of ways in pursuit of stuff. 
You see, the wicked borrows and doesn't pay back because you can't, because there's never enough money to buy happiness. But the righteous is generous and gives. Look at this beautiful contrast. While a pursuit of happiness apart from God causes you to steal, the pursuit of the happiness from God causes you to give. Which one looks like Jesus? One of the main questions, I'm going to talk about this just briefly, that, that immediately follows talking about giving is how much, right? Because we talk about this, if we're contrasting this, that, that the person who is not living, the wicked, right? The, the, and all of us in here are wicked at times. The wicked, they pursue stuff from me. It's like, hey, I need more stuff. And I'm going to have to borrow so I can get more things from me because that's going to eventually make me happy. And it always ends up letting us down, right? But then there's the righteous over here saying, I don't need stuff because I can be content in God. And in fact, what I do have, I can give generously to help others. So that's the, the, the contrast. So then the question comes, well, how much do I give then? So Old Testament, you'll, you'll read this. This is the, the first half of the Bible. It talks a lot about a tithe. And that evolves over time throughout the Old Testament, okay? You'll see it, you see it change a lot. Eventually what it becomes is about 20 to 25% of what a person's total annual income is. But the thing is, is that part of that was used to run the government, right? So this is money that was used to support government functions, an exact number is never placed in the New Testament, rather descriptions of what it should look like because that is just like Jesus, isn't it? We would love to have a number to say, if I do this, I'm good. If I don't do that, I'm bad. Jesus doesn't give it to us. He says, your giving needs to look generous and sacrificial. If you look at your giving, if you look at what you give to others, to your church, to help, if it's generous, if it's sacrificial, that's what you wanna look for. If your giving doesn't cause you to be sacrificial, if it's not generous, then it's not there. So start somewhere. If you're a Jesus follower and you don't give to a church, give 1%. Then increase it. I've not met anyone who struggled to give was because of their income level. I want to make sure you understand this. I've never met somebody whose real struggle to give was because of their income level. It's because they needed too many things. Does that make sense? They had too many things that they needed, had nothing to do with how much they made. And now I, I wanna make sure I, I'm, I'm being very honest up here. I've struggled in giving. That's happened in my life and I've made very little before and it had nothing to do with what amount of money I made. It was the other things I thought I needed. I've met people who say that they give, they, they, they make too little money to give a certain percentage. I've met people that say they make too much money to give a certain percentage. You see, the thing is, is, is it's not about how much you make. It's about what you feel like you need. It's because they were slaves to the world system and they couldn't give what they couldn't give when they were stealing to get more. The last verse says, for those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. There's a, a, a verse in Romans that parallels this a little bit. It's Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 25. It says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We were able to attempt 
to buy from the world what God has already given us freely, but it will cost more than you realize. And it will not give you what it promises. And all of this, we see that our pursuit is satisfaction. It's contentment. It's happiness. And that can only be found in God. And it does not look like what the world offers. You see, God will allow us to take our time and spend our lives pursuing stuff. He gives us that freedom. But there are consequences for that. A, it's going to be a worthless life. The accumulation of your life's goals will be an estate sale as opposed to a life lived that impacted others around you. It will seem exciting like a giant fire or an explosion for a while, but it will disappear in smoke. But God says, man, if you'll just look to me for that contentment, for that happiness, you can have it. It just doesn't look like stuff. It's never gonna be stuff. Don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? Things are not inherently evil. Apple is not the forbidden fruit. And I'm talking about the company, okay? I know that there's the, the big conspiracy theory out there of like, hey, there's the one bite out of the apple. It's Satan. It's not. It's been scientifically proven that it's Android, um, which is evil. <laughs> Caleb, you're welcome. Um, it's not things that are evil. It's the worship of things that's evil because it won't deliver on what it is. And that's exactly what it is, right? This life lived in the pursuit of stuff, that is worship. And there's not anything on this world worthy of your worship, but God. So I have a couple questions for you. Have you been worshiping things? Has that worship of things stopped you from giving generously? Has it placed burdens on you that you can't bear any longer? Whether that's debt or a complete ignoring of your family or your children or your spouse, your friends, because you have to spend all this time, all this effort chasing these things, then stop. Ask God right now to show you what is truly valuable and where you can find your value because you don't have to invest yourself in worshiping what the world's offering to find value and to find contentment. It is found in one place only. If you're here and you're not a Jesus follower and you're listening to this talk and you're like, man, okay, that's pretty good. It's talking about, you know, not chasing things and finding contentment. You know, there's a lot of places that say that. And what I would say is different about what the Bible says than what you can find in Buddhism, which kind of teaches a similar thing, is that this isn't dependent on you. Because even if you stop buying a lot of stuff, if you're anything like me, you're still gonna look and say, there's a lot of stuff in my life that doesn't belong. And I don't know what to do with. And I'm not strong enough not to worship stuff because I like it too much. So if that's you in here and you're questioning, you're wondering, I would love it if you would take a chance this week to ask questions. Go to a community group. Go, go, come here to the office. Come talk to one of us. Talk to a friend after this gathering today when you're going to lunch and ask them what the difference is 
and following Jesus and not. Because I'm telling you, this, what I've been talking about, I don't think is possible without Jesus. Because it's hard for me with him. I struggle anyways, because I still have fleshly desires that make me say stuff will still give you happiness. I'm still tempted in the same way and it's only through Jesus that I've found any victory in this. But maybe you are Jesus following, you're in here and you're saying, yeah, I've bought that lie, I've been there, I've been living my life in the pursuit of stuff because I've thought that that would make me happy. Stop. Before you sing a word of the next song, ask Jesus what is valuable to him and ask him what gives you value. Because I promise you those answers will never be things. Jesus, guide us to you this morning. We trust, we know that you are what give contentment. You give satisfaction and when we search for it other places, it is not going to work. Help us to search for what's valuable to you. Help us to find our worth in you. And let that change everything.